Welcome to the Scoop and School podcast. Do they worry you at all? Are you worried? You ridiculous more goons. Bye-bye. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Your host, Stephen Kahn. What's happening, everybody? I've, uh, I've decided to shorten the what's on my intro. So, big changes around here at the Scoop and Score podcast. I just, I couldn't keep up with the elongated what's happening. It just, it felt forced... And I, I, my heart wasn't in this time around, so I just shortened it, and I feel better about it. So what's happening? Welcome to week eight of the college football season. Week seven, we, we finally had something legitimately interesting happen. We had our first true shocker of this college football season. Usually it doesn't take that long, but uh, it just means if, if, if all the madness and chaos is just going to be condensed down into a shorter time frame here... Uh, the last month and a half of this season should be uh, quite the spectacle. Of course, I'm talking about South Carolina going into Sanford Stadium, knocking off Georgia in double overtime. Uh, this is a South Carolina team that was playing with its third-string quarterback for much of the second half, won the turnover turnover battle 4 to nothing, uh, which helps explain how they won despite being outgained by 171 yards and possessing the ball for less than 24 minutes in the game. Uh, not included in those four turnovers were two missed field goals by Lou Groza a front runner and everyone's favorite bespectacled kicker, Rodrigo Blankenship. Uh, he missed two field goals in this one, one that was blocked at the end of the first half, and then the 42-yarder in double overtime uh, that would have sent the game into triple overtime, but instead sailed wide and ended the game. Uh, so the question, what does this upset mean for the rest of the college football landscape? Um, first of all, I think we can probably put to bed the idea of three SEC teams making it to the college football playoff. Now, it wasn't crazy when people were talking about this as a possibility. Uh, there wasn't a situation where you could have possibly had, um, say, a 13-0 a Alabama, a 12-1 Georgia, and an 11-1 LSU, and depending on how the rest of the chips fell, that could have happened. So I'm not here to bash anyone that was bringing that up as a possibility, but with this loss, it's just not going to happen anymore. Um, but then that's not to say that Georgia is knocked out of playoff contention. Georgia absolutely still controls their own destiny in the SEC and in the college football playoff picture. If they win out, they're going to go to the SEC championship game, if they beat either LSU or Alabama or whoever they face, they're going to be a 12-1 SEC champ, and they're absolutely going to be in a playoff. So uh, certainly season not over for Georgia. And then third, just how does this impact Notre Dame? I know we've got a, no a lot of Notre Dame fan listeners out there. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of narratives of, oh, this hurts Notre Dame because that was, that was, you know, a really good loss for Notre Dame, and they only lost by six to a potentially undefeated, you know, top three ranked Georgia team. No, I don't buy that at all. This is a good thing for Notre Dame. Yes, it hurts Notre Dame's resume, but it helps their playoff chances. Notre Dame's not getting into the playoff at 11-1 on the strength of a loss against a, a, a top two, three team. This It's not like all of a sudden just because Georgia lost to South Carolina, that becomes a bad loss. It's really at Notre Dame's best chance is just carnage and chaos. So the fact that Georgia could now, uh, you know, probably end up with two losses, 
the, the Irish just need as many teams as possible to have two or more losses at the end of the year. So really anyone uh, ahead of them losing at this point is a good thing. And that's how I feel about, uh, about this Georgia outcome and, and how it impacts Notre Dame. Uh, speaking of the Fighting Irish, uh, I, was, I was out in South Bend for the game against USC this weekend. I got some shout-outs to give. Um, you know, shout-out to all the listeners that, uh, that said something to me about the podcast. Uh, you know, one in particular, John McConnell. Always good to see him. Don't see him uh, as often as some of these other people, but uh, I know he's been a, a loyal listener for really since the beginning, and uh, always appreciate seeing that guy and hearing what he has to say. Uh, and then the group of guys that I actually went to the game with and stayed with, uh, we got producer John Zielinski, who, who deserves a, a special shout-out as well for getting this thing onto the air every single week. Um, I was out there with Brian. I was out there with a third John, uh, Tim, and, and, and of course Danny Dimes, who, uh, who made his second trip out to South Bend and, and did not disappoint. Um, let's just say a fun, a fun time was had by all. Um... In terms of the actual game, Notre Dame won. Um, I have no problem with the fact that they won by three. They could have won by much more if Michael Young doesn't inexplicably drop the ball on, on his way to the end zone uh, on, on a kick return to open up the second half. But whether they won by three, which they did, or they won on and, and, and won by 30, this team, they still have the same strengths and weaknesses regardless of, of what happened. Um, Ian Book has not been a game changer. That's just an unfortunate truth. I'm not here calling for a, a quarterback controversy or anything like that. I still think he's probably one of you know the better quarterbacks in the country. But he has not led this team in a way that where if if you know he would have if he was a game changer he would have made the plays at Georgia. And there could be a game down the line where he doesn't necessarily make the plays when the rest of the team is is uncharacteristic uncharacteristically struggling, can he be the guy to just put the team on his back? So far, he has been not been that. Um, same goes for, for cornerback Troy Pride. Something I brought up at the beginning of the season was that he was just going to slide into that number one cornerback role with Julian Love out. And Pride hasn't been great. Uh, I, I, not great is, is maybe generous. He hasn't made any plays. But one thing about Troy Pride is his speed... He's not getting burned either. He's kind of getting nickeled and dimed a lot. Um, you know, Jake Fromm certainly picked on him with some back shoulder throws, and that seems to be what's more or less happening. But it is nice that the defense isn't getting burned over the top. So while I would like him to break up more passes and make more plays on the ball, it's also nice knowing that he's not necessarily a liability to get beat deep uh, and, and, and give up a big play, which can be a huge momentum turner. Um, and then another guy, uh, Alohi Gilman in that secondary has been a little bit disappointing, but I mean, all of that being said, they're five and one. Um, at this point, I have to think the floor on this season is starting to look like 10 and two. Uh, if they get to 10 wins, that's four 10 win seasons in the last five years, which is a really good place, uh, for the program to be. I will notice just the program on the whole. I was incredibly disappointed with the crowd noise inside Notre Dame Stadium on Saturday night. Uh, that's a rival. That's a night game. You've got to get up and make some noise in that one. It was an incredibly quiet stadium. There was no help given from uh, the Jumbotron or the speaker system or the music selection throughout the game. It was just really just a bad job by Notre Dame Stadium in-stadium AV department. Um, 
you know, and, and then it's also on the fans themselves for not making more noise. But let's let's help the people uh, get loud. And there's just so much that needs to be done to create uh, a home field advantage in Notre Dame Stadium. Um, and I should also mention USC did cover uh, that. Uh, I don't even remember what I gave it out as. Uh, I think I said 11 uh, at the time. Uh, so that was uh, I did. I went two and three. I mean two two and one. Two out of three on the week. Uh, and that was one of my wins. My other winning pick of the week came in the Cotton Bowl, where two Oklahoma turnovers allowed Texas to stick around, uh, but the Sooners ultimately prevailed 34-27. to CeeDee Lamb set multiple records in this rivalry, catching 10 passes for 171 yards and three touchdowns. And this Oklahoma defense generated nine sacks. I mean, what a job Alex Grinch has done as the new defensive coordinator over the last several years, as Oklahoma has made multiple playoff runs, it's been all offense, and their defense has really been the liability. And you look at them against other playoff teams in those years, and it's always been like three really good defenses, and then Oklahoma, who's doing it all on offense. Now, is Oklahoma's not you know an, an outstanding defense, or or at least there's no evidence of that necessarily yet. But they're certainly leaps and bounds above where they were in previous years, and this could be you know. Jalen Hurts has been great. He probably doesn't have quite the star power of Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray. Um, But this could be the most complete Oklahoma team uh, in in the last five years during this college football playoff era and and some of the runs that they've been on. And that is certainly saying something. So watch out uh, for Oklahoma. They get over one of their toughest tests of the season with Texas. Still got some tough games coming up with Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and whoever they'll be facing in the uh, in the Big 12 championship game. I mean, I can't forget they also have Baylor coming up. So certainly some tough tests for Oklahoma, but really uh, a strong uh, first half of the season for the Sooners. Uh, my one loss uh, of the week came on a trap that I walked directly into as Miami beat Virginia 17-9 in a game that I watched while drinking hypnotic straight from the bottle at a party with a bunch of college kids. Um... The party probably deserves much more analysis than the game itself, uh, but I won't get any either one, so don't worry about that. Um, in maybe the biggest game of the weekend, LSU beat Florida 42-28 to in Death Valley. Um, a source who attended the game told me it was, quote, pretty loud in there. Um, so that is the kind of that is the kind of scoop you're not gonna get anywhere else. Um, Kyle Trask, quarterback for Florida, played really well um, for the Gators and and maybe gave some credence um, to those concerns about LSU's defense that we had talked about earlier uh, last week and and the week before. But that being said, Florida only managed seven points in the second half, uh, while Joe Burrow led the Tigers with a remarkably efficient 293 yards and three touchdowns on just 24 pass attempts. Uh, now, the thing the thing for LSU with this Florida win behind them and Auburn and Alabama coming up, can LSU avoid a letdown sandwich against Mississippi State in Stark Vegas this coming Saturday? We'll see. Uh, maybe a little lean to one of my picks uh, there, but we'll talk about that uh, in the second half of the show. Uh, Penn State remained undefeated winning 17-12 at Iowa. 
This game looked exactly how everyone expected, uh, to the point that if I would converted its two-point conversion, I would have predicted the exact score. Um, you know, Penn State, uh, certainly a, a big game coming up against Michigan, but they've acquitted themselves nicely, and going into Iowa and getting a win, uh, especially at night, is no easy feat, so Penn State rolls on. Um, Baylor and Minnesota also were able to remain undefeated, uh, Minnesota doing so easily, routing Nebraska 34-7, to while Baylor lead, needed a late field goal uh, a late field goal drive, like from their own inside their own ten yard line in the last couple of minutes, as well as two overtimes uh, to dispatch of Texas Tech, thirty three to thirty. Unfortunately, Wake Forest was not as lucky, uh, despite battling back from twenty one point fourth quarter deficit. The Deeks fell at home to Louisville, sixty two to fifty nine. So that knocks another. Uh, one of the one of the unbeaten's from the ranks. Uh, I think we're down to something like twelve uh, undefeated teams at this point. Um, I mentioned that uh, I was in uh, South Bend this past weekend. I was staying with a group of friends, and we were able to enjoy ourselves by uh, you know we didn't have to retire to a hotel room where we all split up among different rooms, nothing like that. We had a nice house to go back to that we could spread out, relax, have a good time. Uh, of course, to get this house, we used rentlikeachampion.com. Just absolutely excellent. Everyone had a comfortable place to stay. Our our hosts even left a nice like cheese and meat platter for us. Uh, so really lovely stuff. That often happens. Now, Rent Like a Champion does not make any guarantees about the cheese and meat platter. Um, perhaps that's something they should do. And I'll maybe even uh, I have a bit of a role as a marketing advisor uh, and and chief. Uh, meat and charcuterie um, officer of the company. So I'll talk. I'll talk to the uh, powers that be and see if we can get a meat and cheese plate guarantee. Uh, but in the meantime, you just get a good house and you got I don't know 50-50 on the meat and cheese. Uh, go to rentlikeachampion.com. Use promo code Scoop, and uh, and you're just gonna have the best time. Everyone should be going to more college football games. It's a great fun environment. And when you do so, go to Rent Like a Champion. Dot com to find your place to stay. Uh, at this point, I'm just gonna I'm gonna run through my top six every week um, throughout until we get to the college football playoff. And things I, I shook some things up here. Every week, I'm gonna toss out last week's ranking and come with a fresh perspective. I've got number one LSU. I think that one's pretty easy. They won at Texas and they just beat Florida by 14 points. Number two, I've got Alabama. At this point. Uh, they got a boost from, from South Carolina beating Georgia. So now they've got that win at South Carolina. They've got a big uh, big win at Texas A&M and beat Duke by a lot. And that's not uh, that's not something to scoff at at this point. So three solid wins all by solid, sizable margins. Uh, number three, I've got Wisconsin. Uh, their combination wins against Michigan and Michigan State, both in blowout fashion, uh, are what are what keep them up there. Number four, I've got Oklahoma. That win against Texas is worth something, and they've been pretty much crushing everyone else. Number five, I've got Ohio State. They've really looked dominant, uh, but they've really just got Cincinnati and, and Michigan State as their two uh, impressive wins. I think the, uh, the Texas win for Oklahoma uh, is more significant than Cincinnati and Michigan State. And then at number six, I've got Clemson, just because there isn't really anyone else to put at number six right now. Um, and, you know, beating North Carolina, beating Texas A&M, 
Uh, those both mean something. Um, so that's where we are right now. LSU, Alabama, Wisconsin, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and Clemson. That's the top six as I currently see it. But certainly there are some uh, games this weekend that could factor in and, and lead to a shakeup uh, in, in those rankings. So starting, uh, I'm just going to start on with one game on Friday night. Um, Ohio State goes to Northwestern. Now, Ohio State should win this game about 100 to nothing. But at this stage of the season and, and with what we've seen the last two years, I think we're at the point where any time Ohio State goes on the road, we're just on the lookout for them to lay a complete egg. Uh, it's something that they did the last two years. I certainly... Penn, uh, Northwestern does not fit the profile of where that egg would be laid, but uh, it's Friday night, so it's not like there's a lot of other games on. Just something to maybe uh, watch out of the corner of your eye and see if anything weird happens in that one. Uh, Saturday is actually a really good slate. Not a ton of, you know, huge, huge matchups, but certainly a lot of things that you might want to watch. Starting with Clemson going to Louisville at noon, um, the way Louisville's playing, this could legitimately be Clemson's toughest remaining test on the schedule. Um, hats off to Scott Satterfield uh, for getting the Cardinals to 4-2 and two at this point in the season after last year's 2-10 and ten debacle. Again, I expect Clemson to probably roll, but uh, definitely... Uh, Definitely one of their harder games remaining, so if they're going to drop one, uh, this one is as likely a spot as any. Uh, also at noon, Florida goes to South Carolina. You've got one team coming off a huge win, another coming off a hard-fought loss. Um, so it's sort of one of those, how does each respond? Um, does Florida, are they down now and, and you know maybe tail between their legs, or do they come out fired up? And is South Carolina just, you know, have a huge letdown off the, the giant win in Athens. Ultimately, I think uh, Florida should win this one comfortably. You've also got the angle of Will Muschamp coaching against his former team. You've got a little Steve Spurrier bowl action going on. So a lot of, um, albeit meaningless, storylines in this one. Uh, who knows what could happen there. Um, at 3.30, we've got uh, three all three of my scoop and score picks of the week are coming in the 330 window. So if you want to get crazy with it and parlay all three, I fully support you in doing so. The first is LSU at Mississippi State. I mentioned it earlier. LSU coming off the huge home win. Electric crowd. As my source said, it was pretty loud in there. Okay? You cannot overlook the fact that it was pretty, 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 pretty loud. And next week... They've got Auburn, and then they've got a bye, and then they've got Alabama. That is really going to be their whole season, is that two-game stretch. So now they go into sleepy Starkville, Mississippi, to play a down Mississippi State team. It just has let down Central written all over it. I'll take Mississippi State at home, plus 19 points. I don't see any way that LSU comes out of this game firing enough so that they can win this game by three touchdowns. I'd expect LSU to win the game by more like seven points. I think this one could be close into the fourth quarter. Take Mississippi State plus the points. And will, the question is, not so much will LSU cover, but will they even survive the game? I think yes, but I think it's very close. Um, in a ranked matchup, uh, in of the day, 
Also at 330, number 12, Oregon, goes to number 25, Washington. Oregon tight end and leading receiver, both in terms of receptions, yards, I think touchdowns. Uh, Jacob Breeland, he is out for the year. I think Washington, this is the kind of matchup they live for. Uh, you know, take care of business at home against another ranked team. I think, uh, you know, this is just another blow to the Pac-12's playoff chances. And since I think they're going to win outright and they're getting a free three points, let's take the Huskies plus three in that one. Um, oh, sorry. The third pick is at four o'clock. So you're going to have a half hour of a little weird window there, but I still like the parlay. Um, number 18, an undefeated Baylor visits Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State coming off a somewhat surprising loss at Texas Tech. I think Oklahoma State bounces back on that one. Baylor's been living on the edge uh, with the uh, late field goal to beat Iowa State. And of course, uh, the multiple overtimes um, in in their last game. Uh, what did I? Who, who I've already forgotten who uh, who Baylor played, but they played someone and they won. Um, te- Baylor played Texas Tech. Who did Oklahoma State just? Oh, they're they're coming off a bye. Oklahoma State also just played Tech. That's why I confused myself. Oklahoma State did just lose to Texas Tech, but then they had a bye, and then Baylor beat Texas Tech. Long story short, it's not even a story. I'm just babbling at this point. I'm confused. But take Oklahoma State. Give the three and a half points. They should beat Baylor by a touchdown. I'm thinking something along the lines of 28 to 21. Oklahoma State wins, and you hit your three-team parlay. Um, Two other 330 games I just want to mention. Five and one Temple heads to number 19 and undefeated SMU. The American Athletic Conference is pretty exciting. You've got Temple, SMU, Cincinnati, UCF, Tulane, Memphis, and Navy, who are all varying degrees of good and are going to compete uh, in that conference for the conference title and could be competing for a New Year's Six berth. Uh, One of these teams could end up playing Notre Dame in the Cotton Bowl. So if you're a Notre Dame fan, start paying attention to the American Athletic Conference along with probably Boise State, and you could be getting an idea of Notre Dame's bowl opponent. And then lastly, um, not really a a huge game on a national landscape, but uh, certainly a big game in the ACC Coastal. You've got Duke visiting Virginia, and this could have a significant impact on who plays in the Orange Bowl. Uh, The Orange Bowl is going to have to take uh, the best team from the ACC that is not in the playoff, and assuming Clemson goes to the playoff, one of these other ACC teams has to go to the Orange Bowl, and uh, and the winner of this Duke-Virginia game certainly would have an inside track uh, to getting that bid. Uh, moving into 6 o'clock, number 17, Arizona State, visits number 13, Utah. If you haven't seen freshman quarterback Jaden Samuels for Arizona State, you should definitely check him out. He is awesome. Uh, this has major implications in the Pac-12 South, where Arizona State, Utah, and USC uh, are all probably going to be battling it out in that division. Um, so certainly an important game as it impacts the Pac-12 race. Um, and, and maybe, you know, could have Rose Bowl implications as well. Um, lastly, there's since there's no really great uh, late game, uh, like late night, uh, the, the last game I'm going to talk about here and the biggest game of the weekend at 7.30, number 16, Michigan, visits number 7, Penn State. Uh, it's the site of game day. 
Uh, Penn State will be doing their traditional nighttime whiteout. Um, and this is this is a lot of a lot of different angles on this one. With Michigan, you know, despite the narrative, they're they're a five and one team. Uh, if if they win this game, they can definitely start thinking about going ten and two. Maybe even start thinking about a Big Ten championship um, and and dreams of beating Ohio State at the end of the year. Um, the the offense did put up forty two points at Illinois last weekend. Although the defense, after after looking really good for two games, uh, gave up twenty five unanswered uh, to a backup quarterback at one point in that game. So that's still something of a concern. Um, and one of the problems with Michigan has been all the fumbles. I'm actually I'm going to give myself a homework ex- assignment, and and next week, uh, leading into the Michigan Notre Dame game, I'll probably uh, dive into some of the numbers with Michigan's fumbles and the number that uh, they've lost, and how that's just really kind of an unsustainable thing, um, and and that's the kind of thing that can turn pretty quickly. And since lost fumbles are typically luck, um, you know maybe Michigan's offense isn't as bad as we seem to think. Maybe it's just been a lot of bad luck, but I'll get into that in more detail next week. Penn State, on the other hand, um, you know, if you're just comparing the Iowa games, they looked similar to Michigan, albeit they were doing it on the road and at night, uh, so probably a little bit uh, more impressive there. And just breaking down the two resumes, there's probably not a lot on either resume that really stands out. Uh, You've got Penn State being Pitt, they crush Maryland. You know, what do we make of really either of those things? Probably not a lot. Uh, I think these are two pretty similarly matched teams, but ultimately I think the home field night whiteout environment is the difference. Penn State wins the game 27-21 to 21 and remains undefeated. That's about it. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any other college football or non-college football related items to discuss. Uh, I don't, the purge, the purge has not started yet, or if it did start, I missed it. I'll have to check my DVR. Um, You know, Succession had a really good season finale. If you don't watch Succession, you totally should, but I don't know, you're probably already watching Succession. You don't need me to tell you that. I've run out of things to say. I'm, this wasn't a long episode, but hey, now you have more time to go watch Succession. So uh, everyone enjoy the college football weekend. Enjoy whatever things you do the rest of the week. And I will talk to you later. That concludes the Scoop and Score podcast. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul.